Welcome to the Kevin and Fred Show. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-founder, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast, The Kevin and Fred Show, where once a week we bring to you a expert interview every single Monday. We interview one of the brightest and best in the world, usually in, in the real estate space, sometimes in technology, sometimes in entrepreneurship, sometimes just in forward thinking. The things that are going to help us learn to move forward are the things that we're interested in bringing to you on this podcast. So we don't keep it limited to just real estate agents. And I think you'll find that really valuable if you've been listening or if you're a new listener, all in the same. We also bring you once a week something we call industry headlines, which is a look at what is going on in the real estate world, what's happening in the mortgage space, what's happening in the technology space, bring that to you in a short form. 10, 15 minute podcast at the most once a week on Wednesdays. We're also a proud member of the industry syndicate family of real estate and mortgage podcasts. Check out that app in the app store. Again, that's industry syndicate. And if you would, please do us a favor, please, please, please leave us a review, download, subscribe, share an episode with a friend. We would love it. There is no better way to say thank you, except for maybe a real estate referral, because we are, after all, real estate agents, and we love real estate referrals. We're based in the Phoenix area and would love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kevin and Fred Show. Hey, it's Kevin and Fred. Do you have a referral for us here in Phoenix? There are 30,000 agents here that you could send them to. Why us? Well, for one thing, we'll keep you updated and you'll never have to track down your commission. We'll also make you look really good to your client. And best of all, it helps us keep all this content free. So go to kevinandfred.com slash referral to make the introduction. We'll take great care of them. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Kevin Kaufman. Welcome back to another episode of the Kevin and Fred Show. This is a very special episode. In fact, it's one of four parts. I had a very long and in-depth conversation with our guest today, Mr. Adam Robinson. Adam is someone who I first learned of on the Tim Ferriss podcast. I will link to those in the show notes here for you if you want to go listen to those as well. Adam is a very unique and a very special person. A little bit about Adam first, background for him. He was born in New York City, grew up in Illinois, just outside of Chicago. He attended the University of of Pennsylvania Wharton School before receiving a degree uh, from the Oxford University. After graduate school, he became one of the two co-founders of the Princeton Review. That's right. Uh, His first book, originally entitled Cracking the System, the SAT, remains the only test prep book ever to become a New York Times bestseller. He has had so many other careers in the meantime. Currently, he advises the heads of large hedge funds, family offices, and other financial institutions on all global asset and global equities, U.S. sectors, bonds, currencies, etc. That's right. He spends his time talking to the likes of the head of hedge funds, um, which we talk about quite a bit. He He got there because he's made a career out of just sort of outflanking and outsmarting the competition, seeing trends, seeing where they're going and how things will change. A couple other interesting facts about Adam. He's a rated chess master. He's was awarded a life title by the United States Chess Federation. Um, he was also personally mentored in chess by his boyhood hero in chess, Bobby Fischer in the 18 months leading up to Bobby Fischer, um, winning the world championship. That's right. The Bobby Fisher searching for Bobby Fisher. If you've ever heard of that movie, if you're not a chess player. Um, so he has had a 
just an absolutely wide-ranging career and background. Um, didn't even get into the AI sort of things. Adam and I had this really crazy long and in-depth conversation. And um, the first part is we're, we're just breaking this out into four parts, right? We're going to talk about what is going on in the world today, all of the different things um, that are happening and how it's actually totally understandable. We get into how not to be stupid, which uh, side note is the name of one of his books that is coming out uh, hopefully soon, how to stay out of the stupid zone, how we're basically all prone to it. And then in the last section or the last part of this interview, we actually get into investing and global equities and securities. And the thing is, Adam knows the stuff. I mean, he's literally friends with people like Warren Buffett. As I mentioned, he advises the head of hedge funds. Um, the guy knows the stuff. He sees the world through a different lens than most everybody else. And I personally... I'm so thankful to have had the chance to sit down and talk with him um, for about four hours. So that's why we broke this out into many different episodes. So I hope you enjoy it. I know I got a lot, a lot out of it. Something I will reference at the very end of the last, uh, the last um, part is something where I referred to him as his Bobby Fisher moment. This was kind of that for me. So Bobby Fisher was his sort of hero, if you will, when it came to chess, he studied Bobby Fisher. And if you want to hear that story, you should go check out the Tim Ferriss podcast episode number 219. He tells it in depth in that episode. Um, but he effectively just kind of ran into him, just saw him on the street one day, went up to him and started talking to him and they became friends. And he started actually mentoring Adam uh, as a kid. So very cool story. Adam has had this life that is just absolutely crazy. Um, and he's just one of the nicest people I've ever met. I've ever had the opportunity to um, come in contact with and spend some time with. So I hope you enjoy this at least as much as I did, if not more, because I got to tell you, this was so, uh, so awesome of an experience. And I think you're going to like this. So without further ado, I'll stop and present to you, Mr. Adam Robinson. All right, we're back with the Kevin and Fred show, and today I'm joined by, truthfully, a longtime mentor, but first time had the opportunity to really connect with you, uh, and his name is Adam Robinson. Adam, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you. Uh, you know what? Take the thank you back, and let's just, you and I are going to be seesawing today on a seesaw, and it takes two people to seesaw, and I guess if you thank me for being on the seesaw with you... Um, I'd have, it has to be a mutual thing. So we're going to seesaw today. I appreciate that. I like that. And that, that, you know, that kind of goes in line with a lot of the things I've, I've learned from you um, over the last couple of years. I first heard you on, I want to say it was Tim Ferriss the first time when you had a couple of your, uh, on with a couple of friends, Josh and Ramit. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking, and I knew of Josh and Ramit and I had not, ha had not heard of you at that point. And I remember thinking, who was this other guy, Adam, Adam, what? And I looked you up and then sure enough, then the next episode with Tim long form, I got introduced to, to really Adam Robinson. And that was, that was amazing. And truthfully something that has really impacted me in a big way. So I'm excited for this conversation. Um, and I'm excited to see where we go with this. I'm excited. Cause I have no idea. You know, I, 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 I remember with Tim, when we did that long form uh, uh, podcast, 
he actually uh, blindsided me with it. He didn't like, we had just gone out to dinner and we came back and I was actually kind of tired. And, and I said, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to take a nap now. And um, I was staying with him in uh, San Francisco at the time. And, and he said, no, let's do a podcast. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I'm falling asleep. He said, I know, let's do a podcast. And so I said, I said, um, I, I talked about conversational parkour, right? Just like, like going, just leaping. So you and I um, are going to do that today, Kev, which is conversational parkour. We have no idea where this is going. Love so it. Let's, let's leap. Let's leap. Well, Adam, could we first start? I mean, there are so many things I want to talk about with you. Uh, and I've had this conversation in my head a, a lot over the last year or two. Can we start out with, with kind of questions and answers? I, there's so, like questions. Why, how important are questions to, in your world and how, why should they maybe be import, more important to the rest of us and the answers that we seek and the answers we find? Can we talk, can we start there? Sure. That's such a good, so uh, Einstein said that the world out there, I'm pointing out my window <laughs> in West Hollywood, uh, the world out there is, um, is the product of our thinking and we can't, change the world until we change our thinking which is true insofar as it went like thanks for that insight albert but how do you change thinking and i spent a lifetime thinking about that and 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 there are only two ways to change our thinking and that is we either change the questions we're asking or or we consider more inspired answers so everything human, and I'm going to belabor this, is such a profound and simple framework. Everything human is an answer to one or more questions. So um, water, I've got a glass of water here. It's an answer to a question. What can I drink that's going to slake my thirst and, um, and be relatively unobtrusive? Um, iced coffee is my, <laughs> probably my go-to favorite. Um, and, uh, that's a different answer. That's a, what can I drink that will slake my thirst and give me a little pep? Um, mm, this podcast is an answer to a question. How can you and I share ideas and share them with the world? There are other ways we could have answered that question. We could have exchanged a series of, uh, of, um, of letters that you publish on, right? Or any number of other answers to that question. Um, the, these windows are an answer to a question, how can I provide light in this room? There are other, I could have lit candles. I'm, I'm belaboring this for a reason. Um, I could have lit candles. I could have uh, turned on the overhead lights or the other lights in this room. And but I'm using the windows as a way to provide light for this conversation. Um, it's the answer I chose. So democracy is an answer to a question, right? Again, I'm going to belabor this for a couple of minutes because it's the punchlines are coming up shortly. So democracy is an answer to a question, right? How can we give people an equal say in their government? Right? That's an answer. Um, mm, capitalism is an answer to a question. How can we, um, um, incentivize innovation. Incentivize and 
Yeah, I was gonna say incentivize and reward, but that's the same thing. Incentivize innovation. Uh, capitalism is, is an answer. Um, and Los Angeles is an answer to a question as a city, right? Where can someone go in the world, let's say pre-COVID, but where can someone go in the world who's interested in, in getting ahead in the entertainment uh, 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 field? Um, Los Angeles is an answer. It's not the only answer, right? There are other answers to that question. Say um, New York City, Nashville, if it's music, certain kind of music, uh, Chicago. There are a few other places, but, but really like film, like it would be, it'd be L.A., say. It's an answer to that question. LA is not an answer to a question, where can I go um, if I am interested in uh, um, natural beauty, like being around nature, would not be LA. Um, although they're, 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 they're Hollywood Hills right behind me. Um, so there's, there is beauty here. But there are other places like, you know, Wyoming or Montana to be around nature. So I say all this, and I'm going to belabor it even further. Um, marriage is an answer to a question. Uh, in what institution can I commit myself to an individual to raise a family? Marriage is an answer. But I think it's the, kind of the only one um, that's sort of legally enshrined anyway. And I, I say all that. Um, by the way, there, as I look up my window, there are helicopters, you know, floating around Los Angeles. That's, that's an answer that uh, the uh, police authorities have. How can we observe what's going on on the ground in real time, right? Helicopters is an answer. Drones is another answer, right? Um, but the one they chose is helicopters. Okay. And, and so everything is an answer to a question. Everything human, to, an answer to one or more questions. I say that, now we're gonna, now we're gonna dig deeper, okay? okay? Like, okay, that sounds really nice. Why is that I'm going at such length about that? Because sometimes we're not aware of the questions that are being asked. I say this as companies and as countries and as, uh, as individuals. So for example, little pop quiz, Kev. <laughs> Um, what question were people asking themselves, say, mm, 20 years ago, for which newspapers were the answer? Okay, over to you. Okay, uh, how, how can we either receive or disseminate what is going on? What are the daily happenings in our world? Well, wait, I mean as individuals. Oh, as individuals. Oh, wait. So an individual would ask, how can I what? And newspapers is the answer to that question. How can I learn about what's going on in the world? Yeah, 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 you would think. That wasn't actually the question most people were asking. And because newspapers, uh, newspaper companies, conglomerates, media companies, did not realize that, was, that that was not the question people were asking, um, they didn't understand that, that the game had changed. So the question most people for whom newspapers 
were the answer. The question they were asking was, how can I fill up my time? Like, how can I fill up my time during a long commute? And, and newspapers were the answer to how they could fill up their time. And yes, sure, they wanted to learn about the world, but really it was the filling up at the time that was the key question. Because as soon as smartphones came along and they could fill up their time in other ways, newspapers started to, like, fell off a cliff. And they fell off a cliff with the rise of the smartphone. And, and it was, all of a sudden, people had other things they could do with their time, right? And so if you don't understand the questions that are being asked as a business, you won't, you won't understand that when the game is actually changing. And that's so key. And I say that because to understand this world, people are asking different questions now. And you really need to understand what the questions, what questions have remained the same? What questions are they, are they now asking that they weren't asking before? Here's one that people are asking now that they didn't really ask before in great detail, what matters most to me? Each of us in our, in our everyday lives, we're thinking, oh, which, which, which social outlets are really important to me? Because we're, we're cut off from those choices. Like, which ones do I really want to make the effort to get to? Um, which friends are most important to me that I really have to make an effort now to, to go, like, to see, even if it's in artificial ways, like via FaceTime, right? And, and I say all that because there are these massive shifts going on in the world because, like, that's a question that people are asking that they, they didn't ask as much before. And um, so, for example, um, marriage is an answer to a question, right? We said that before. Well, young people today, millennials and Gen Zs, um, and this is going to, we're going to return to this when we talk about markets, are, are not having children in the way that, right, when I got out of college, Soon after people got out of college and graduate school, it was, well, you'd find someone to, to raise a family with, have a few kids. Now, millennials and Gen Zs are, that's not, a, that's not the question they're asking. And I say that because it cascades over into so many aspects of our lives. So if we're not going to have kids, then I don't need to get married the marriage rate is plummeting. And if we're not going to have kids to get married, we don't really need a home. A generation ago, Kevin, um, Americans under the age of 35 owned 31% of real estate in, in the United States. That's kind of what you'd expect, right? A lot of young families, they, they buy homes, whereas older Americans at a certain point, they begin to downsize, right? They begin to downsize. 
So at the start of the life, you, so you start to acquire and start to build up. So a generation ago, they owned 31%. Americans under the age of 35. Today, the number is 4%. It's in free fall. And, 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 and that's, again, that's just one aspect of what's going on, which is a complete shifting and collapse of the, of the, of the U.S. and global economy. And, and it's been going on for a while. And, and that's spilling over, that demographic shift is spilling over into so many aspects of our lives. To so just explore that one for a second. Uh, since millennials and Gen Zs are not thinking of buying homes, because they're not thinking of getting married and having kids, the baby boomers, the front end of which, say 75, they're retiring, beginning to like, downsize their homes, like sell the, the home and maybe get a small condo at some nice place next to a lake or somewhere. Um, they're they're going to have trouble selling their homes because they're going to discover that the millennials and Gen Zs are not interested. That trend was in place before COVID, way before COVID. COVID is just, is just accelerating that. And in fact, people think that COVID, this whole thing, is, has caused a lot of the problems. In fact, it's just the cat, it's, it's really just amplified trends that were already in place. Here's another example. Um, maybe there are entrepreneurs in the audience. Do you want to start a business? Pet ownership. Pet ownership has gone through the roof. Not only pet ownership, but plant ownership. And this was, these were trends in place before COVID. I mean, going through the roof. Why? Because if there's a loneliness epidemic. And, and we can get to that also. Remind me to ask, sorry, remind me, I was going to say remind me to ask, but remind <laughs> me to discuss the Google experiment that we can do. I it's will. It's so important. And because Google is where people go to ask questions, right? In fact, maybe we should do that right now. Maybe go to the Google experiment. And um, so, yeah, in fact, let's go to the Google experiment. You want to, you want to do that or you have another question? Yeah, let's, let's do that. I think now that's a good place. I was going to ask that question. Um, and I think no time like the present, considering what the, the stats and trends you just talked about. So you shared um, uh, this experiment you came up with and I'll, I'll never forget. You, you said, you know, I had a question, so I typed it in and then the answers were so shocking to you that you wondered, is this my version? Is this Adam Robinson's version of Google? Or is this, is this really what everyone, if you will, is, is, is asking, is this the summary of that? Um, and so I would, I would love to dive into that and how that relates. Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, as you know, Kevin, uh, I, every, every morning if I come up with a, an insight about the world or something that I can share, 
I do so via Twitter. And um, my practice, oh golly, since I was a teenager, every night when I go to sleep, and since I was about 13, as I fall asleep, I ask the universe or God a question, depending on the question. And in the morning, I wake up and I have a pad and a, and a, and a pen and I wait for the answer to the question I asked. And the question is not like, you know, who's going to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> um, uh, or what should I wear tomorrow? But, or is it going to rain? Uh, it's like life questions or big, big questions. And, and uh, so, and in the morning, I get some insights. Sometimes I get answers to other questions that I've asked. I mean, my whole life, actually, now that I think about it, I've been very conscious of questions. And um, so, um, I, and by the way, the bar I set myself is I will not tweet anything unless it's a thought I've never thought of before. It has to come as a surprise to me that day. So it's a pretty high bar that I set myself. Like it has to be a totally original thought that, I, that I've not thought of before. And um, so about a year and a half ago, I wanted to tweet about, people are always getting ready, right? Always getting ready to do things, but not just making the leap. And the point about getting ready is you're never ready. Ever, 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 you're never ready. So you may, in other words, you're as ready as you're going to be. You may as well jump in there learn as you go. And, and uh, I'm not saying preparation isn't important, but you'll never feel totally ready ever. And, uh, and by the way, if you do, you're in trouble. Because if you feel ready and you encounter difficulty, you go, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Short aside, on male versus female performance on standardized tests and so and feeling ready so um there's a little known fact um those those listeners who don't know back in the day i was one of two co-founders of the princeton review and everything we did we we endlessly did big data analysis of everything and what was interesting is girls underperform boys on both parts of the SAT, math and verbal, not just the math. And um, what was interesting, if I, if I stereotype, most girls in high school are conscientious. They're, they do their homework, they're conscientious. Um, they take courses like the Princeton Review. They feel they're ready. Most boys, on the other hand, I mean, I remember myself, certainly, they screw off, they do other things, they, they cut corners. We know we're not ready. Now, standardized tests are designed to make you fail. That's, they're designed to do that. On a school test, the teacher knows you, Kevin, or knows your, your daughters, and designs a test so that kids in that class, if you've done your homework, should be able to ace the test. Standardized tests are designed so that it takes the very top, 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 like 1% of 1% of 1% of the students in the country, maybe they can get a perfect. Everybody else is, is going to have one or more mistakes. So they're designed to keep like a high jump, they keep raising the bar, keep making it higher, till eventually 
even the world champ is going to knock over the bar. So notice the person who felt prepared for an SAT is in trouble because you're going to get questions you can't answer. And if you felt prepared, you're going to think, oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. This shouldn't happen. Whereas the person who tends to be the boy who felt underprepared, it's not a surprise. When the trouble comes, not a surprise whatsoever. Like, I don't know, maybe the answer is D. What's the next question? And, and so there's much more of an improvisation, like, like testing as improvisation. And life is a lot of improvisation, like parkour, right? You just jump in and you see. And if you think you're prepared, you're sunk. Anyway, so all these byways we explored and uh, as we tend to do in conversational parkour. And so I type into my, I want to talk about this concept of people getting ready. And I thought, huh, what are people... So I wanted to tweet about this, but I wanted to include like, you're always getting ready to do X, Y, or Z. So I go to Google, and I'm gonna do that right now. I go to Google. At the Google, uh, you know, standard search bar. And I type in, um, how can I learn to um so type in how can i learn to just curious what people are so i'm gonna go through them i'm gonna start actually it's interesting it shifted a little bit but the first one how can i learn to sing that's kind of sweet be nice nice i'm gonna skip number two number three is how can i learn spanish number four to draw number five how can i learn to play the piano um six how can i learn to code uh, seven is interesting. How can I learn to do the splits? That's a new one. And how can I learn to play the guitar? But it was number two that blew me away. And number two was how can I learn to love myself? And actually, when I did this a year and a half ago, it was number one. But I guess uh, uh, moved down to number two. And I was so stunned that I, I texted a bunch of my friends and I said, can you type in, by the way, just so people see, I, I said, can you type in that into Google and tell me what shows up for you? And each of my friends that it, they each went, OMG, right? Like, or WTF, like what the, what the heck? And, and um, so it wasn't just me, right? Because Google if you've done a lot of searching, actually, you know what? I've been searching a lot for singing lately for reasons like about a song for other reasons. Maybe that's why that popped up a little further, but Google sort of begins to try to learn about Kevin or Adam or whomever, but basically it aggregates also everyone. Right. And so it was in ranked order. And I was so stunned that, that people were going to Google for answer, I mean, I understand like, you know, where can I find a vegan bakery or something? Or what's the best dry cleaner in my neighborhood? I get that. But 
how can I learn to love myself? Like, I was so stunned by that, that I then typed in, I thought, wow, people are really in a bad way. So I type in, like, what feelings or what are people feeling? And I, so I type in, um, why, let me see, why do I feel so? So I type in, why do I feel so? And number one response, tired. Now, tired is a euphemism for depression. So the number one thing people are typing in is, why do I feel so tired? Why do I feel so depressed? Number two, why do I feel so alone? Imagine the loneliness of someone who's got to go to the internet to ask why they feel so alone. And number three is bloated. I think there are a lot of eating disorders. Number four, why do I feel so sad? Number five, why do I feel so dizzy? Number six, weak. Again, that's depressed. Number seven, why do we feel so empty? That's worse than depression. That's like existential depression. Like there's no, why do I feel so empty? Number eight, why do I feel so sleepy? Again, depressed. So six out of the eight, sorry, five out of the eight, top eight responses are why am I depressed and lonely and empty? That, that so horrified me, not horrified, yeah, I did. I, I thought, wait, what? The, this is what people are feeling? Yeah, that is scary. Really scary. And, and by the way, they don't realize it because I thought, okay, if that's what individuals are feeling, when they, when they look out at the world, what do they think other people are doing? So I type in, why is everyone, wait, why is everyone else okay why is everyone else it's interesting the first one is why is everyone else so bad at eating oh actually i know why that came up number one because i was confused about that one it was part of a, a parks and recreation episode uh, it was a, like a famous line in an episode, but look at the others. Why is it? Remember, the question people were asking is, why am I so depressed? And, and almost everybody, done, almost every, a lot of people are clearly asking that because you've got five of the top eight responses from Google that they've curated. Like that's, that's a lot of people. A lot of people. Okay, so now, leaving aside number one here, it, which is a line from a, a famous sitcom. But here are the others. So why is everyone else so happy, pretty, skinny, successful, talented, lucky, perfect? So you really have to let that land. People are depressed and they think everyone else is happy and perfect. That is, that's the state of the world. And to tie that back to the larger thing about questions and answers... The entire world, Kevin, is the sum total of all the answers we've been able to come up with as a species, the best we've been able to do over the millennia. And, and the best we can do has left people feeling depressed, 
lonely and thinking everyone else is perfect and having a great time, but them, which is explains the anger in the world. Like if I think I'm, if I'm depressed and I think everyone else is happy and perfect, and then you layer into that the economic collapse, which by the way, was going on before COVID. So at, at last year, Kevin, uh, and I know, I know you've heard me talk about this before, last year, mm, 48% of American adults, mind you, this is during a full employment economy, right? Record low unemployment, stock market at all time highs. Um, the 48% of American adults had zero dollars in the bank. Zero as in zero. No money. They had debt, but no money. No cash in the bank. Another 21% had fewer than $1,000. So if you add those two numbers, 69% of American adults last year, pre-COVID, had less than $1,000 in the bank. And, and you, you think about that, basically, that means two-thirds of Amer- more than two-thirds of American adults, you know, people give lip service to, oh, they're living paycheck to paycheck. No, they're not living paycheck to paycheck. They're scared paycheck to paycheck. Imagine you're a dad. Imagine you're a, a, a father with a family to support or mom with a family to support or parents with a family to support. You got no money in the bank and you got three kids or even a child. Whoa, you better not. You, how are we going to get through this week? And now we have the fastest increase in unemployment like of all time. We haven't yet hit depression levels. We're about to. And because there's going to be another wave of of firings. um, Likely in the fall, but may come sooner. There'll be another wave. And we, you know, we'll get into the economics of things later. But yeah, questions and answers are so important. By the way, in your own life, personally, like, what what questions do people ask for which Adam is the answer or Kevin, right? What, because there may be questions people are asking for which I don't want to be the answer to. Um, and, um, or questions that I do want to be the answer to. And, and um, that's true with, if you're starting a business, um, or just understanding the world. What questions are people asking? Um, and we're going to come back to this when we when we take a look at at our response to COVID and and uh, and you know global markets and the world. So so there. That's question and answer format. It, know the questions that other people are asking and that you're you're asking so talk about some parkour that was question number one that we just finished um Ah. 
And we went a lot of places with that. And I, I jotted down some notes and kind of some sub notes. And um, I do want to talk about the market stuff. But before we do that, uh, because I think it's maybe more in line with where we just landed that plane. Can we talk about the dangers and op- and opportunities of what we have in the world today? Is that? Sure. So, so this is, these are really epically dangerous times. I, I, I think it is, not a think, I will assert. This, this is likely the, the most dangerous time in, um, in centuries. And, and, and I, can, I can say why. Um, it's multiple reasons. One is um, we're economically bankrupt. Um, the average debt per human being on the planet. Now, by the way, before I get to that number, remember this world is the sum total of all the answers we've been able to come up with as a species. This is the best we can do. And it's left people feeling lonely and depressed. The best we've been able to come up with has left us really empty inside and wondering why everyone else is great. And, um, which is a prescription for ultimately anger, right? Because I, I thought things were going to be okay. Play by the rules, and I'm feeling empty and depressed. And um, the average debt per human being, so you have two beautiful daughters. They're five and seven. They're part of the debt. Sorry, Kev. They're part of the debt. I'm going to cover them. So, uh, so, so tonight, maybe... Right over dinner, you can say, "Okay, you two, <laughs> start saving up your money." Um, so, uh, and and by the way, five and seven, someone who's seventy-seven or ninety-seven, they're probably not earning money. I'm including them in this count, and someone who's maybe earning. Oh shoot, the numbers on China just came out. Something like seventy percent of of, uh, I'm trying to get the number right. Chinese citizens earn less than, it's $140 a month. Some really much lower than you would think. Whoa. Yeah, like some really no, low number. And, 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 and even if it's 140 a, a, a week. It's much lower than you would think. Much, much, much lower. I can't remember the number. But I remember being shocked by it. I read it this morning, so I had no time to verify it. But, but some shockingly no, low number. Anyway, clearly there are countries in the world where people are lucky if they make $100 a week or, or $20 a week. Like, like they're, right? So I'm including everybody. Every man, woman, and child on the planet. You take all the debt personal debt, corporate debt, government debt, you add it all up, divide by the number of people, it's roughly at this point $40,000 per individual. So your two beautiful daughters, each of them is on the hook for $40,000. You tell them to start saving some money. And, and 
So you think about a family of six in, in a developing country, you know, maybe the family is, well, they have no net worth. Maybe the family is collectively earning, if they're lucky, $50, you know, a week, you know, two or 3,000 a year, something like that. They're on the hook for $250,000. And it's just growing. No end in sight. It's, it's, that's, that's an impossible. Impossible. It, it, it's insurmountable. You can't, they could never overcome that. Never. Now, the problem in the world, and again, questions and answers, right? And the, the problem in the world is that is mm, started, well, you could trace it, I can trace it back centuries, but I'll start 75 years ago at the end of World War II. So at the end of World War II, Roughly, that was the beginning of the American dream, right? I want what mom and dad had. I just want more of it. So if they had an apartment, I want a home, right? If they had a home, I want a bigger home. In fact, I want two. I want two of everything. And, and, and I'm willing to go into debt to, debt to get it, right? The GIs came back. It's the American dream. And... It was based on an accumulation of things, right? I want what mom and dad had. I just want more of it. And I'm willing to go into debt to have it. And, and debt works as long as you can grow your way out of it, right? It, I say works with air quotes. So it, 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 if you buy a home and, and, um, I don't mean you, Kev, if one were to buy a home, you take out a mortgage and, and people who take out mortgages on their homes often spend a lot of the money. Like, okay, I took out a mortgage. Good, I can buy some furniture now, some other things, fix up the home. And, and you know that's okay, air quotes, that's okay because you know that the value of the home will go up over time. And you know this because it's just... It's a fact, but it's not a fact. In fact, home values, real estate can go down for decades. People don't, don't realize that. It could go down for centuries. It does not always go up. And, and so we've gone into a massive amount of debt, which means we've predicated the modern world. We got to keep growing because we bought the, we got all the debt. Right? If someone takes out a loan, mortgage on their home, they, they know it's okay. I could spend that money, a lot of it, because I can, the, the value of the home will go up. It'll appreciate in value. Yeah, maybe not. And we've predicated the entire world, we've, right, $40,000 debt per individual to build up a world, sorry, to create a world that's left us feeling depressed and lonely and and with we can't grow a way out of this now here's the here's the problem and we'll come back to what we talk about markets is um there are only two sources of growth in the world um population growth and consumption growth so we need to keep growing. We need more people, more mouths to feed, 
and we need, um, I say we, the global system that we've built up and gone into debt to create. Um, we need more mouths, more, in other words, more human beings, and we need each human being to consume more, right? And, um, you know, America predicated on the pursuit of life, liberty, sorry, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, we become consumers, the pursuit of more stuff. And, and stuff that, by the way, left us empty and depressed. And people are wondering, why am I so lonely? And, and we've gone into debt to do that. Now, the problem is, again, we've got two levers for growth, population growth and consumption growth. But what happens when they both go negative? That's no good. That's no good. And that's what's happened. There's a global population collapse. And you could trace it roughly to 30 years ago when the second derivative of, of the acceleration, I shouldn't say second derivative, uh, calculus stuff, uh, where, where global growth started to slow. We're still growing, but the acceler- we weren't accelerating the way we were. And, and actually has gone negative. It's now going to the downside. So um, in the United States, every country in Europe, Australia, Canada, and Japan, so the, the developed world, is what, last year, I'm not talking about this year, last year more people died than were born. People go, really? I go, yes more people died in the developed world than were born. And, and that's bad news for the global economy because it, it was predicated on continual growth forever, right? Growth at all costs. There are only two areas in the world that are still growing. Um, and even their growth rate has, has it's still growing, but it's kind of peaking is um, the Middle East and uh, Africa. And there, the, the median ages are like stunningly low. Like when you see the numbers, you go, really? Like um, the median age in developed countries like the US and Europe, the median age, I think it's about 47-ish, something like that. Um, like is half above and half below, pretty high. In some African countries, the median age is in the teens, the low teens. Whoa. Imagine countries, and there are a bunch of them, where half the people are below the age of 15 and half above. Like, think about that. And the world is way different from what people think. And, and so, so we've got to, because people are not having families, they're not getting married, having kids, and populations in the developing countries are, are collapsing. And by the way, it's accelerating to the downside. It's not going to change anytime soon. And because you need to be a certain age to have children, to bring life in, to bear children in the world, it's written in stone for at least 20 years. 
even if everything reversed tomorrow, like I snapped my fingers and all of a sudden there was a pop, everyone decided, oh, let's have lots of kids. Um, we're still in trouble because the next 20 years are set. And uh, demographically. So there's no avoiding it. And the first, if you view all the countries in the world sort of tethered together, climbing along a, in the Alps or some mountain range, the first country to kind of go over the cliff was Japan, roughly 30 years ago. 1989, that's 31 years ago, the Japanese stock market peaked. And um, the current value of the Japanese stock market is roughly half what it was 31 years ago. Imagine you bought a home and you waited for 31 years and your home was now worth half what it was. And by the way, you dealt with some market declines where it was worth a lot less than that. It clawed back to roughly half. And so the Japanese stock market peaked um, 31 years ago. They were at the front end of hmm, the global problem, which was an economy built on consumption, which was predicated on growth at all costs. We've got to keep growing because we pile up all this debt. And which means we've got to keep growing. And as soon as we, our way out of it, the only solution the central bankers and other leaders have come up with is let's pile up more debt when we get into trouble. So these stimulus checks that people are talking about, the stimulus, that's more debt. It's debt Alas, I won't be around to pay off, but your daughters will be. Right? They're five and seven. It's piling up more debt. And debt in service of a world that's left us depressed and lonely. And um, so this is, we got some real serious problems ahead of us. And uh, again, it comes back to questions and answers. People thought the American dream, like, Buying stuff was going to make us real happy. Nope. Nope, it hasn't. It has left us in debt. That for sure. It's done that. And, um, and there's no easy way out of it. And um, so we got some serious adjustment problems in the, in, the, in the world here. Some real serious questions we've got to ask. And we've got to come up with super inspired answers. So is the op- are the opportunities in, in the world now and the foreseeable future around that, around that problem? And how do, we, how do we start to work our way out of that? There are incredible opportunities as individuals and as companies. Let's deal with that. As individuals and companies, we'll get to the country level. It's a, a larger problem. But as individuals and as as, um, as companies, once you're aware of what's unfolding over the next 20, 30 years, again, this is all demographically written in stone. There's no avoiding it. You'll know the questions that people are asking, and you'll know, for example, as a business, 
how to answer those questions. I'll tell you, like, here's a question people are not asking themselves now, and I think are going to calibrate even after we get past COVID. Um, people are not asking themselves, like, uh, how can I get a lot more things? People are, are really thinking twice about that, about consumption. Yep. And, and it's, a, it's not a temporary thing, even if things went back to normal, and they're not going to, no way. We could talk about that also. Um, people are not asking that question, and they're not. So it, it would be difficult to start a business around a conspicuous consumption, because people are not interested in that right now. Here's a question people are asking. We already know. Why am I so lonely and depressed? Answer, get a pet. Right? That's why it comes back. Remember I talked before about pet ownership, going through the roof. So are plants and things at home. There's People are retreating from the outside world into the the world, here's a theme, the world as your, sorry, your home as your world. Instead of going out into the world, people are like coming in and creating their own spaces. And if you look at, uh, at the stock market and the companies that have done extraordinarily well during this period, there, any company that has products and services around enriching life at home, you're doing very well. Um, and Home Depot, um, come, I forget that, shoot, I forget the name, there are companies like that sell, publicly traded companies that, pools, right? Like, okay, you got a home, good, let's have a pool. We're not going out, we're not going out there. We're gonna have a pool at home. And, um, and think about uh, companies like Zoom, which like that stock is like up a gazillion fold in the last couple of months. Because if you're not going to work, how are you going to, by the yeah. way, Zoom, not just you and I are on Zoom. And, and, and not just for work, even just like friends, right? Yeah, Zoom happy hours. I see people doing... I mean, I've done it with my friends and, and family. Like there's, yeah, it's, it's not just, it's not just for work. Not at all. And so Zoom is an answer to a question that I have, say, with my, my friends and my dear hearts. My dear hearts are like my, my darlingest friends. And, and, uh, and is, I can't see them in person. So Zoom is an answer to that. Like, how can I maintain connection? Zoom is an answer and uh, not a perfect answer, but it's an answer. And uh, it's the best I have now. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so companies that are struggling, by the way, so Netflix, for example, doing quite well, right? Because uh, people are going to spend more time at home. Companies in the same industry like Disney, oh, they got theme parks. Oh, they're gonna, they got problems. 
um, people are going to be going out less to movie theaters um, and doing things in general out there in the world. Restaurant stocks getting slammed, uh, airline stocks getting slammed. And, and, and so, and this isn't a temporary thing. This isn't just a COVID thing. And um, is we're all going to recalibrate because, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier that I, uh, like pre-show is life is an experiment, right? Where, and so what's going on right now, by the way, everything is an experiment, <laughs> right? It rightly treated. And, and it's an experiment that we can learn from. And what we're learning about is we can do with a lot less, each of us. We were all just forced into an experiment, you know, whether we wanted to be or not. And I think a lot of us did learn that. We, we learned that we, we did need less. Maybe we wanted more or different at home. And you, you mentioned like adding a pool um, and really more connection. You brought up Zoom. Zoom is about connection, truthfully. Uh, so we want more. It's funny is we have all this stuff and we have all the debt to go with our stuff. And when you, when it all gets threatened, like it has been, we retreat to like what, what would it is that we really want? What we really want. And, you know, the problem is, you know, I, by the way, we were doing an experiment before COVID. The experiment was, does buying things make us happy? Okay, negatory on that one, <laughs> right? And we know, we know the answer to that. Bad experiment. We went into a lot of debt to, to discover that answer. And so, so what's not going away is the debt. And I've actually been giving a lot of serious thought, like musing on the nature of debt, because we're clearly going to have to address that. And and what debt is. I mean, on a really fundamental level. And everything is, uh, needs to be rethought. So, for example, the world, is, the world isn't working. And I, I say that, you know, there, uh, Ray Dalio, who runs uh, Bridgewater, which is the world's largest hedge fund, smart guy, uh, Very. wrote a blog piece last year on November 6th in the blog piece was the world has gone mad and the system is broken, but the world hasn't gone mad. And, and again, really what he was saying there, and you and I were going to talk about this later is things that don't make sense for him. The world has gone mad is another way of saying the world doesn't make any sense to me, which is to say that his model of the world, which had worked very well up till recently, um, that the world was not behaving the way it should. He said, the world has gone mad and the system is broken. Well, but it hasn't gone mad. That's the thing. This is an entirely predictable response to the situation that we've created which was a house of cards, just a matter of time before things, remember, if the, 
if our global economy is predicated on continual growth, that as soon as things slow down, begin to go negative, we're in trouble. And from time to time, after World War II, I forget, in the 50s there was a recession. I forget, around the mid-50s. Then there was certainly one in 74, big one, huge. We had collapse of the stock market, then a collapse in 2000, 2007. Our way out of it is to pile up more debt. Government stimulus, let's just get more debt. And it props the things up for a while and inflates things, but doesn't change things systemically. Just kicks, kicks the can down the road. Kicks the can down the road. But that's okay, because I don't have to deal with it. And talking about I don't have to deal with it, the, um, the number of CEOs that, that, that uh, resi- retired early um, was at a record high at the end of last year. I'm out of here. Thanks so much. Adios. I'm going to cash in my stock options with the stock market at all time highs. Things aren't looking so good right now. I think I'm going to retire. And, and um, by the way, I'm not, it's not like I'm blaming them, but uh, they certainly recognize that, uh, you know, time to, the part is probably ending. Time to, you know, call it a day, cash in my chips and wish everyone else good luck. And meanwhile, we're left with this world. And um, so, yeah. Uh, oh, wait, so I was talking about Ray Dalio. Oh, right, the world that doesn't make sense. Sorry, I was losing my train of thought there because we talked about so many things. It makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, when, Ms. Well, we can talk about things that don't make sense. You want to go there or where do you want to go? Yeah, let, let's do that. Cause that was, that's not too far down my list. So that this is perfect. So things that don't make sense and what so many of my, my dear hearts and, and even my clients, you know, say, Oh, that's crazy. Like, Oh, that doesn't make any sense or, Oh, that's weird. But they don't think about it. They just go, that's insane. But that ends their thought. And just, for example, negative interest rates. <laughs> and, and which started to crop up about mm, a few years ago with Japan, was the first country that went negative. And then uh, uh, Switzerland did. And then a few other countries. And last year, there were... Mm, I think 15 countries in the world that had negative interest rates, negative long-term interest rates. And just so people understand what a negative interest rate is, negative interest rates, borrowers are paid to borrow and lenders pay for the privilege to lend. That's so, now again, people go, that's weird. I don't understand that but that's not the question they should be asking. It's because the reason for negative interest rates are the, the world isn't working. Even when we make money cheap, it isn't helping. So let's make it negative. Let's pay people to take money. Maybe, please, maybe that'll work. 
No, no, it's not going to work. And because even if you give money, if they have nothing to spend it on, um, it's not, it's not going to create demand or they just don't want things anymore. And so uh, in mm, Denmark last year, if you wanted to buy a home, you went to the bank and asked for a mortgage, they'd say, um, um, let's see, buying a home for, I'm going to say dollars, $2 million. And you take out a, a, a mortgage for a million and a half and you say, what's the interest rate? They'd say um, half a percent. You go, wow, that's really cheap. Um, only half a percent. I'll have to have, pay half a percent a year. They'd say, oh no, we pay you half a percent a year. Like you got to let that land. You're paid to take the loan. Like, and again, people go, what? That, like, even you were going like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. How can they, they're paying me to, wow, okay, bring it on. Give me 10 million. <laughs> like, if you're paying me to take the money, I'm going to get a much bigger home. In fact, I'm going to buy a bunch of homes. And by the way, investors think that's what they did around the world. Great. Let's take that money and speculate. Oh, now, now, by the way, really the, the important thing is not sorry, the important question to ask is not why are there negative interest rates? Because the answer is pretty simple. The world isn't working, but rather if that's true, what else? It's telling us the world is so Alice in Wonderland. What else is Alice in Wonderland? By the way, this will, st I don't know if you follow markets, but a few weeks ago, a month and a half ago, there was a day when the price of oil went negative. Yes. When you were paid $36.73 a barrel to take oil. And if you had a place to put the oil, they were going to pay you to take it. Imagine we're in a world where imagine you had a barrel and people were saying, we'll give you money. We'll give you cash. If you got a barrel to take it away with you, that's what they were doing. A wheelbarrow and, um, and a barrel of oil, but a wheelbarrow. I was thinking barrel of oil. That's like, great. Let's just throw some money in there. And that's the world we're in. And given that that's the world we're in, nothing should surprise us. Nothing. And by the way, that means all economic models of the world out the window. Which means that economists and any, any looking at the past for guidance, um, oh no, we're, this is terra nova, new territory. We've never been here before. Good luck. And so COVID, and we'll get to this later, is completely, it's totally understandable. In a world where it's growth at all costs, we want to keep growing. We want a lot of activity around the world. Pandemics have been around, they were in the 50s. Well, heck, we had pandemics in 19, 1918, right? The Spanish flu, right? 1918, yeah. 1918. 
And now in a world which is much more interconnected, we had pandemics in the 50s, a couple, get the exact dates. But most recently in 2004, we had SARS. Then there was the avian flu, Ebola in 2014. We, that we came this close to it, like getting out of Africa, big time. Like we Thank goodness, because COVID is a joke compared to Ebola. Ebola, you could be Dwayne Johnson. You could be the rock. You get Ebola, you're sunk. I don't care how strong your immune system. COVID is, 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 is very tame compared to Ebola. We came this close from Ebola becoming a global pandemic in 2014. Like a bullet, we dodged that one. It was just a matter of time before another one came along. Here we are. No surprise. We're going to have it. It's just a question of when. So now here it is. I'm so thankful to have had the chance to sit down and talk with him um, for about four hours. So that's why we broke this out into many different episodes. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Join the Kevin and Fred community, part of EXP Realty, and partner with us today. You'll get free access to live trainings two or more times a month, live events and in-person masterminds, digital downloads to help you run and scale your business, and much, much more. To learn more and join our community, visit kevinandfred.com slash contact and contact us today. Not ready to join our community? No problem. Continue enjoying all this great content on our podcast for free.